The Woodsman, written and recorded by Charlie Moan, produced by the Tour Collection. The woodsman entered a forest of tall pines, crisp air and the light from a clear sky tinted by the green of the forest, a floor of decaying leaves and a smell of fresh and wet earth. The woodsman's footsteps were muffled by the leaves, still his steady pace added a new rhythm to the symphony of the forest. Large birds with diamond-shaped feathers sung high-pitched mating calls, wind tickled each pine needle and it seemed at least to the woodsman, that there was some intent behind the shimmering song of nature. A brook ran parallel to the man's path, and from openings in the dense trees, the sound of water. By afternoon, the woodsman had loaded his pack with several dead logs and even caught a rabbit. The dead animal swung from his bag like a good luck charm. As the sun hung in the middle of the cloudless sky, the woodsman broke his fast with tough bread cheese and a dried meat spiced with pepper and rosemary. The woodsman was not a young man anymore, 47 years of age, dark eyes, a heavy brow, thinning hair, and a beard of scraggly long whiskers, a body toned by hard labor, family love, and swinging an axe. For the last 12 years, the woodsman had raised his family in the North Askla region of the Dulce province. The dense forest of pine, birch, and oak filled the north land. Gentle winters, storms that filled the summer, plenty of game to hunt, more than enough trees, and a freshwater lake just a mile from his front door. The woodsman only cared for two things in his plain life. The struggles of the kingdom, the toils of magic, never interested him. No, the woodsman cared for his family, a wife and two children the oldest daughter of eight and a boy of three, and the woodsman cared for his axe. The old tool had not lost any of its strength with age, rather it seemed to grow more stubborn and sharp, a handle of worn polished mahogany and a single-sided head of iron. The woodsman's father had given him the axe when he was a boy and ever since, the tool had not left his side. Through war, the bloody birth of his son and the daily chores of life, the axe had been his only constant companion. After his simple meal was finished, the woodsman judged his collection lacking and made the hike to a recently burnt part of the forest. Seven nights ago, a horrific and unnatural storm swept through the region. News from the local town called the storm a work of magic from the magic women of East Askla, but the woodsman hadn't bothered to understand the storm. As the storm had raged, the woodsman held his family in his arms and watched as lightning flashed and thunder seemed to shake the earth. In the chaos, a single bolt almost as if the forest was an insult zagged its way through the black sky and hit the ground. The boom made the woodsman's daughter cry out in panic. The boy screamed and his wife quieted their cries, then joined her husband at the window to watch the dull glow rise and illuminate the black of the sky. The burnt forest was a silent place. Any life had been burnt away, and all that remained were ghosts of pale sounds and the skeletons of charcoal trees. 
Most birds had abandoned this place, almost like people running from the act of a god. The woodsman sniffed the air and scanned through the desolate area. The fire must have raged, raged with some force beyond nature. The ground was blackened and hard, the trees that still stood only shadows of what they had been. The woodsman felt that he had been pulled away from the forest and entered a new, dead place. A distant crack echoed in the eerie silence. A branch falling, another creature. The woodsman huddled low and double-checked that his bag was secure and that the head of his axe still held a sharp edge. Just beyond his field of view, a shadow stalked, footfalls silent despite the heavy weight. The shadow surveyed its surroundings and picked up on an unfamiliar scent. At the same minute, the woodsman noticed the shadow of the large creature. For a moment, just a single moment, the woodsman caught the dark eyes of the beast. A wolf, a large, ragged thing with matted black fur, and as suddenly as the woodsman saw the creature, it seemed to fade into the background of fog and still smoking remains. A wolf, the woodsman thought. No food out in this place. Must have been his home. Another distant crack, and the woodsman swore by the gods and child king above that the wolf still watched him. Minutes passed in utter silence, as if the world held its breath, predator and prey listening for any hint of life. A curious deer walked into the burnt ruins on the far east of the forest, the noise of its movement a spiky disruption compared to the silence. The woodsman watched the creature. Why, he thought, why come to this burnt nothing? Are you possessed? Does the song of the wolf call you? A shadow in flight, the wolf darted from its hiding spot within deep smoke and fog. Tendrils of smoke clung to its fur, making it look like the wolf had formed from that unknown. Before the deer really understood what had happened, the wolf was on it. In a strangled cry, the deer flailed, and for its effort, pushed the wolf away. Some small mercy... The wolf had taken a large chunk from its neck. Even as the deer ran, blood created a path. The wolf turned and locked its dark gaze with the woodsman. Almost a dare, almost as if more than bestial intelligence rested within the animal's head. Then the wolf was gone, following its meal to a place of its choosing. As the woodsman headed home, he could not shake the wolf from his mind. Of course, there were big predators in the forests of Askla, but for the last hundred years, the prince's peace had routed most of the intelligent creatures from their ancestral homes, so the land could be lived in. Wolves were not uncommon in the forests, but this beast seemed more in line with those intelligent creatures driven off by man long ago. The size alone, a head that came to the woodsman's shoulder, powerful limbs and eyes as black as a starless night. Perhaps some magic had been at play. The woodsman pondered many more possibilities as he walked home, the forest taking on his unease after the sighting of the beast. Home was a small, run-down but warm cabin nestled beside a strong river. The eastern thread ran far north and south. The woodsman had chosen the river for its direction, north into the forest and south to the small village, an easy landmark for his children to know. Follow the river south and you'll find home. South follows the glowing belt of heads, 
North follows the jeweled eye, the brightest star in the heavens. The woodsman had already rehearsed his first planned trip out with his daughter. She was almost old enough. The house was built and survived from the forest, and an intricate garden of vegetables. Sturdy walls, a thatched roof, a strong foundation that used to be a castle in some faraway age. Windows that glowed like light reflected in eyes. A lawn of tall grass. Several miles away, wild fruit trees bore apples, pears, and oranges, and small blue sour things the woodsman didn't like. Those only grew in spring. The woodsman looked at the color of the sun and judged that spring would end soon. The long and terrible summer storms approached. The rabbit would feed them for tonight, but they needed food to save. In past summers, the river had flooded and cut off access to the town. With enough food and wood to burn in the hearth, the house would stay safe and warm. When the prince first announced that the Askla Forest would be a haven for man, many didn't believe it possible. However, the use of the magic woman that wove great spells and the holy knights of end pushed the intelligent beasts away from their ancestral homes, and for the first time the fertile forest was an open place. Despite the beasts being pushed away, the magic women of South Ascala still provided each home with the burning protection of the prince's own spirit, a protection that was active as long as a fire burned. The woodsman's job was not only necessary, but required for survival. The inside of the cabin was a cozy but simple abode, a large fire, neat logs stacked to a low ceiling, a wood-burning stove, a large bed for the family to share, and a simple table made from the same pine as the trees outside. The tools of the home were all handmade and worn with use. The woodsman's children had carved odd dream shapes on the wall and intelligible lines that offered protection to the house. As night fell over the forest, the woodsman cooked the rabbit and soon the entire family gathered around the table to eat. The oldest picked the meat from the bone with a crooked tooth, the young boy smeared his vegetables into the table and the woodsman's wife hummed and sharpened the axe head. Despite the peace, the woodsman still feared the large wolf he had seen in the burnt clearing, a wolf with intelligence behind an animal face. The next day brought a peaceful drizzle and the promise of harsher storms to follow. Far to the east, a great dark wall cloud descended. The woodsman cut trees for the better half of the day. Before soaking wet and fatigued, he broke to eat. The leftovers of the rabbit and charred vegetables from the garden. As he ate under the shadow of a great pine, the forest seemed to sleep, all sound gone except for the light rain and the whistle of wind. The woodsman sat on a great flat stone that must have been some extension of the castle, the stone held old runes of heresy that the man couldn't read. A wolf of that size would need to hunt large prey. A wolf that size would qualify for hunting by the prince's order. But who was left to hunt beasts like that? Most of the young men had traveled over the great red ocean to a foreign land to spill the blood of the enemy. As if answering his silent pondering, a snap broke the woodsman from his thoughts. The snap came from the depths of the forest. A low but dense fog filled the empty places between trees. A fog that followed danger. For within that fog, a great shadow moved. Dark eyes reflected the gray light. The woodsman took his axe in a tight grip and backed against the tree. This creature was hunting. This fog couldn't be natural. 
but with the little knowledge the woodsman had of magic, he couldn't be sure. Little knew of magic, and even those who did did not understand the primal magic of the natural world. As a fire casts flickering shadows, the wolf moved, almost invisible, through the dense trees. Here and there the woodsman could have sworn by Dirge, the storm watcher, that there were multiple wolves, but in reality, the wolf moved in and out of its lair of fog. The woodsman set up a series of rabbit and small game traps along the wild path to the orchard. Maybe it'd be best to check those, leave this area for the wolf. The woodsman spoke aloud an old prayer and mantra, a verse in a language he didn't know but had been passed down by his ancestors. The prayer meant safety for all and peace for all those who move through danger. When the woodsman was sure that the wolf had moved up and around his temporary campsite, he set off, taking careful steps down the foot-trodden paths and keeping his head on a constant swivel. The forest could be a boon and a curse. The poor visibility meant the man couldn't be sure if the wolf still followed, but the unnatural fog weakened as sunlight filtered through the storm-choked clouds above. An hour and four rabbits later, and the woodsman arrived at the wild orchard. Years ago, before the woodsman had been born, his father had cleared this patch of forest and planted rows of fruit-bearing trees. In those days, the threat of war was a distant dream, and trade with those across the Red Ocean heavily demanded fruits and fruit wines. A ramshackle and overgrown shed set against the east border of the forest held old casks that rotted from time. The wars had seen many losses, but to the woodsman this was the most direct. His father's life work and legacy that was to help his family deemed obsolete by the movement of the world. But the orchard still provided fruits, so the act was not a total loss. Storm vines had already been produced by most of the trees, and leaves and budding fruit alike were wrapped in cocoons of fine fibers that protected them from harsher storms. The trees themselves, ragged, aged, and wise, collected the copious amounts of water and continued to grow their caged fruits until fall. The orchard was a haven of peace within the quiet forest. Old runes had been carved into the trees by the magic women years ago, and those runes still warded off those animals that would scavenge for food or use sharp beaks to pierce the still delicate cocoons. Honeysuckle grew in large walls around the edges, and wildflowers were home to the many insects that tended the orchard. So much of this place was still stuck in the past, an age when the intelligent beasts had been pushed far away, and the people of Askla had moved into a fertile new land. The wolf watched the woodsman as he bathed in the tranquil light. Past the edge of the forest's border around the orchard, a hazy wall blocked entry. The wolf paced silently up and down the border looking for some kind of hole, but the woodsman saw the creature. The wolf looked bigger than the woodsman had thought, the size of a small horse. Without the obscuring fog or tricks of the burnt and smoking ruins, the beast was immense. He locked his gaze with the wolf's and for a long moment the two watched each other. As a storm took the place of the moment of calm, the wolf let out a long howl. The sound sent the woodsman home and made the wall of magic vibrate and fade ever so slightly. As the first of the summer storms raged above the small cabin, the woodsman stoked the fire and prayed against the hearth that protected the house. The fire seemed to consume the logs like a man eating on the verge of starvation. 
Orange flames licked up the side of dried bark and crumpled the skin of the tree like paper. Three days of wood, gone in a single sleepless night. The woodsman's wife, daughter, and their youngest boy slept fitfully next to the flame, the rhythmic crackling the only comfort in a world of chaos. Throughout the storm-choked night, the woodsman had gone to the window to watch the dancing lights and sheets of rain. Throughout several flickering stop-motion moments, he saw the wolf. The great soaking beast patrolled the edge of the protective magic, the creature's gaze gaining life from the brief flickers of lightning. In the early morning hours, the woodsman fell asleep and in fitful dreams saw the wolf. A young man, the woodsman in his prime, but then he hadn't been a woodsman, but a soldier for the prince's army. In the dark, twisted homes of memory, he fought with his brothers against the northern giants of Caldicia, storms and monsters. The giants, when captured, did not fear torture or death, but instead they feared the wolf god they worshipped, a great monster that stalked the dark places of the underworld looking for souls to hunt. In the confusion of worried dreams, the woodsman pictured that dark creature as the one he had seen, a creature that would wait for years for the old magics to return, a history that far outmatched the life of any human. The woodsman's wife woke him. The small woman had taken his spot in kindling the fire, a round face, large hands, while his wife lacked the grace of the high ladies of court. The woodsman's wife had the strength and knowledge to survive the summer storms of the wild, the wisdom to know when to run, but the courage to fight. A woman, no, another soul, that saw through his young, worn-torn suffering and helped life seep back into his skin. In the early hours of the morning, the couple talked of his dreams, the summer storms, and the great wolf. When the children woke, the woodsman had already decided to hunt the great beast, for as the summer storms grew in strength, the wood would always need to burn. Without the death of that great wolf, there was no safety for the long months of necessary work. The woodsman had thought of traveling to the village, but he feared the long journey. In the wilds, there was no magic to protect him. In a forgotten cellar, the woodsman pulled out his old bow, leather armor inlaid with plate, and a quiver of arrows that he had made himself, the bone white of the arrow shaped from the bones of the giants killed in war, a war that left a country broken and ready for future conflicts. With a quiet goodbye and promise of return, the woodsman left the house as morning took the forest in a cool embrace. Earth and fresh life. The great pines shed needles during the storm and were left with tough new buds that absorbed the heavy downpour to spawn the next generation of needles. Much as the woodsman would need to ensure the future for his children by killing the great beast. The forest ran with many streams and hummed with birds, wind, and insects. Overhead, the clear morning sky was stained by dark clouds on the horizon. Yet, for the woodsman, this day seemed to be set as the day he would hunt the wolf. If he failed, his home, his family would be erased, and not even the memory of magic would count them among the noble dead. But this wasn't about the noble dead. This was about life now, a moment unseen and unheard but of great importance to the three he left at home. Memory of his daughter's birth, his son, the quiet moments of intimate peace, his wife with her crooked smile and bright wisdom, those, those needed to be saved. For the woodsman knew he was a broken man, 
As much as he acted in the best interest of his family, the war had taken something from him and refused to give it back. The footpath wound through forest clearings, small rock formations, new streams, and wind-torn patches that felt emptier than the sky above. The destination was the burnt forest. The burnt forest was home of that creature, that wolf that was more intelligent than form would normally allow. It had been the same with all of the old beasts of the forest. Great birds hunted, birds that picked children from their mother's arms, bears that stood 14 feet tall and whose mass made the ground shake, boars that could break rock. In the days of the intelligent beasts, the world had been a small place. Only after they had been chased to the far corners of the land did the world open and life could exist with some stability. But as with the constant shift of the seasons, the great beasts would wander back to their old ancestral homes and go mad from the loss. In many ways, the woodsman felt a kinship with these beasts, a desire to exist in peace. Twigs and roots exposed by rainwater, insects busying themselves in preparation, the smells of earth, decaying leaves, and fresh wood, a gentle wind and a promise of a clear day before a night of storms. The great pines stood as monuments to the beauty of a world before man, beauty in the wild creation. A forest floor of deep greens, browns, and yellow of the flowering rainweeds, rocks covered in moss and lichen, footsteps muffled by the heavy covering of scattered needles and leaves. The woodsman adjusted the bow on his back and stopped to rest in the gentle shade of a great oak. The armor was heavier than he remembered. A mild wind brushed the leaves overhead. On the wind, the woodsman smelled smoke, sweet yellow berries, and rusty iron iron. The woodsman's mind was taken back to bleak battlefields and dying men. After taking a long drink from the canteen at his side, he shouldered the bow, tested the edge of the axe, and continued deeper into the forest. Blood and fur mixed with the algae of a muddy pond. The deer had been torn apart, the carcass consumed and the remains left to rot. The woodsman stayed hidden within the safety of a large flowering cage tree and watched flies congregate to the corpse, a new corpse. Blood still marked the shores of the pond and painted the leaves with false hints of autumn. The size of the wolf would make the deer a mere snack. After an hour of waiting and watching in silence, the woodsman left his hiding place and looked for the beast's tracks. Great prints had been left in the soft mud of the pond. The woodsman compared his own foot size and found that his foot, boot and all, fit easily within the print. The woodsman guessed that the beast easily weighed over 300 pounds. How can I kill such a beast? The woodsman continued, following the fresh prints towards the burnt section of the Askla forest. Around noon, the sky broke its promise and clouded over, and a gentle rain fell upon the forest. A low fog had crept up around the bases of trees and made the prints of the great wolf hard to follow a fog that always seemed to follow the creature, an unnatural magic that meant little to the woodsman. As the burnt section came closer, the sound of animals lessened and eventually silenced. Only rain, rustling pine needles and leaves, and calm wind. During the gentle rain, various fungi and other plants opened blurry petals and stalks to collect water. Even the plants knew how to adapt to the storms. 
hardy mushrooms of deep blue that soaked up the moisture in the air only to retreat to steadfast rock anchors, budding flowers that seemed constructed of lace caught water and drank deeply before rolling back into themselves to hide from harsher forces. The steps of the great beast vanished at the edge of the burned forest. Beyond, the skeletons of trees, the blackened limbs reaching blindly. New growth had already sprouted in the ashy earth. Fog tumbled in gentle sheets and clouded any view that would seek to investigate the heart of the burnt wreckage. The woodsman scanned his surroundings, stood, and listened for a long moment. Then, taking careful new steps, entered a bed of new growth. The wind whispered, rain a constant answer to the wind's question. A deep silence filled only by the pounding of the woodsman's heart. The man knew of animals and beasts. He had killed a great many to feed his family, but this wolf was something different. This beast would not simply make the mistake of walking into the open while the woodsman hunted for him. As the day wore on, the rain strengthened. Great gusts of wind shook the trees and thunder rumbled in the churning dark above. Just as the woodsman wanted to give up his hunt for the day, he saw the beast. The creature slunk between burnt trees and kept low to the muddy ground. Whatever natural or unnatural fog followed the creature dispersed with the rain. Still the wolf seemed to understand that its body could be hidden by sticking to the soaking remnants of the forest. The woodsman drew his bow and knocked an arrow in a quiet motion. He pulled back and watched the beast examine the clearing, looking for a danger it felt but could not see or smell. On the count of four, the woodsman released the arrow in a somber hiss. In the fading light and rain, the woodsman lost track of his arrow, but the wolf let out a sharp cry, and like it was punched, fell back. The woodsman knocked another arrow, and without any hesitation or thought, loosed another shot. Again, the wolf cried out, but this time the creature seemed ready for the unknown attack and took the second arrow in the meat of its shoulder. The first arrow had dug into the belly of the creature. As if listening to the commands of his general, the woodsman loosed four more arrows at the beast. The fourth and fifth shots made contact, but with a mad burst of strength, the wolf bolted and vanished behind burnt trees and scattered branches. Leaving the bow on the ground, the woodsman tightened his grip around his axe and waited. Certainly, those arrows had hurt the beast, but with a size like that, it would take more than small punctures to bring it down. In that quiet moment, the woodsman prayed to the gods above. He prayed for the safety of his family and prayed that this creature was the only one of its kind. The downpour continued, and the sky above flickered like firelight through a window. A great summer storm. A long howl filled the vacant emptiness left by falling rain and rustling pine needles. A howl that sounded like a challenge. Every hair stood on end on the woodsman's arm. His arms shook, and for a moment, fear gripped him. All he had done was make the beast angry. In a panic, the woodsman stood from his hiding spot and moved into the clearing. He needed to see where the beast was. He needed a shadow impact at his left side. All the air left his lungs, and a spattering of warm liquid fell onto his face. A great paw crunched his left ankle. With a war cry, the woodsman swung his good arm at the wolf. He didn't know the state of his body, but pain would soon inform him. The axe bit into the neck of the wolf and stuck. The woodsman's left arm had been torn by teeth the size of fingers. All that remained was a broken, fleshy snake that vaguely resembled his arm. Left ankle broken by the weight of the creature, the wolf snapped back, but the iron grip of the woodsman held firm. 
honed by years of felling great trees, years of body-breaking work to secure a life for his family, years of training in the prince's holy army. This was the moment the woodsman had waited for ever since he first glimpsed the wolf. In the rain and mud, the wolf lost its footing. The axe still buried in the beast's neck pulled the woodsman forward. Every vein in the woodsman's arm screamed. But with another battle cry, the woodsman wrenched the axe free and abandoning any form of survival, brought the great axe around in an arc and swung down towards the wolf's head. The creature moved so quickly that before the woodsman fell under the support of his broken ankle, jaws snapped, claws tore flesh as paper, the woodsman's abdomen exploded in blood. The axe hit the dirt, and the woodsman fell back to the soft earth. His good hand went to his stomach and found that his insides had spilled out over the burnt forest floor. In the last moments of confusion and panic, the woodsman found calm. Time slowed, and he watched drops of rain fall high above. He would fertilize this place. His body would become part of the new ground, an unforgiving cycle that held all of life in a truly balanced grip. The wolf was on him again, and his dying screams were lost within the maelstrom of summer storms. The wolf tore apart the frail man, teeth and powerful jaws made easy work of bone and tendons. Even as the wolf ended a life, it knew that its own was ending as well. For as frail as the man had been, the arrows had pierced deep, and the wound at the side of the neck bled freely. Rain washed away blood, but still warm liquid matted and soaked the right side of the beast. The creature stumbled blindly and fell to its belly, the war cry of that man echoing inside the wolf's mind, a reminder and promise of the death the woodsman had ordained. Thirty Years Later The end of the Bronze Crusade meant nothing for the citizens of the Dulce province. However, for the son of the woodsman, the end of the crusade meant that he could return home and see his sister and mother. A pointless war that only sowed chaos for powers that treated lives like pieces in a giant game. The son of the woodsman left the sturdy battleship and made his way through muddy streets and past the earthy pines of the village. Well, a city now, the son thought. His older sister had written many letters speaking of the great changes taking place within the forest and the province. The magic women had left their high towers and took it upon themselves to root out the homes of intelligent beasts within the forest. Using old spells, the woman who used the words of the many gods spoke with the creatures and learned of the stories and conflicts between the rugged few of the forests and the beasts that fought to protect their homes. An agreement had been made. There would be no violence between animal and man. The long conflict had left both sides bitter, and now the children of that generation longed for a peace, a peace that would see the end to death. So the magic women spoke with the intelligent beasts and decided upon a pact. A great obelisk was constructed in the city, and both man and beast split blood in agreement to 300 years of peace. While this history changed the Dulce province, for those who lived day to day, their real change was that of peace and a bond of community with the great beasts. The son of the woodsman took a trade carriage back to his childhood home. The eastern thread, the great river, was a blur of churning green water and swift jagged currents. Home, the son of the woodsman thought. 
The path home followed the eastern thread south, and even after years away, the son of the woodsman knew that at night he could follow the stars of the belt of heeds. The cart ride down the old road was in many ways the accessibility of the modern age. Maybe father wouldn't have died if carts ran back and forth. The son hesitated and quickly recited the mantra of seven faiths to cleanse himself of thinking of how things or events should have gone. Down that road, only suffering lay. Before long, the looming forest became an active part of the road. New trees, bramble bushes, and rows of wild yellow rain grass. As night fell, the cart reached its destination. The home was different. Instead of a homely cabin, the area had been expanded and renovated. The cabin still held its rugged age, but now a new room had been built, the garden had tripled in size, and several coops and a large silo had been constructed. All crafted from the forest, yet this home still felt different. Even discounting the newness of the structures, it seemed to the son of the woodsman that the home had embraced its history with the forest. Here and there, the wild creativity of the forest informed the detail of walls. Roofs held pine needles and decaying leaves, and tough wild grass was home to fireflies and other luminescent bugs. The son's first evening home was as he expected, tears and happiness. His older sister had taken on the custom of magic and craft. The little she knew had already harmonized this area of the forest and the home. The outdated protections reapplied and given life through song and work rather than firewood. The boy's mother had aged, but still held wisdom in her strong, bony fingers. The woman's age had only brought her closer in attitude to their late father, a man that the boy had never known, a man that had taken a mythic status in this new community, a woodsman who hunted and killed a great wolf. The boy had grown into a man of his own, hearing stories of his father, a soldier, a husband, and a legend. After a large meal of roasted potatoes, fried and charred peppers, onions dripping in oil and garlic, and a slab of rare steak, the son of the woodsman listened to more stories of his father, stories that he had not heard. After the death of the woodsman, many went looking for a body to bury. But despite years of searching, no one had found the final resting place of the man or the wolf. Blood and broken arrows were all that remained. Indeed, for many years after his father's death, it was assumed that the great wolf had seized victory. But after the seasons of summer storms and no sign or hint of the great creature, most assumed the beast dead and the woodsman dead in his epic task. Something about these stories did not sit right with the sun. And that night, his dreams were filled with the nightmare forms of great lurking and hunting shadows, his father's voice echoing between moon-soaked pines, and this new dream and home burning under the weight of old magics. The images in his dream mixed and formed into a single black shape, the shape of a great wolf. The next morning, the son of the woodsman enjoyed the peace of the forest. After breakfast and helping his sister set up a new fence for the chickens, the son packed his bag and left to search the forest for the bones of his father. Crisp bear and the smells of earth and wildflowers. Sun filtered green by a canopy of pines, a floor of decaying leaves and brown needles. The son of the woodsman followed the same path as his father. After years of thinking and picturing the final day of his father's life, walking in the forest felt surreal. Scents and sounds leaked and triggered small flashes of deja vu. By afternoon, the sun rested and ate and drank cool water from the fresh brook. 
Perhaps the dreams were to blame for this venture into the forest. Why would he make any progress when the whole town had not, when his own mother and sister had not found anything? A solemn howl filled the void of empty space. The son of the woodsman drew his blade and practiced ease and listened. Wind, the whisper of leaves, songs of birds, a shadow moved between dense clumps of trees. Abandoning fear and caution, the young man chased the shadow. The path was left far behind, but the son did not fear getting lost. He knew how to follow the sky home. An unnatural wind blew in from the north, a wind that brought thick blankets of clouds, a summer storm in the middle of spring. There was some magic at work, and not the magic of man. Past thorn branches, singing reeds and thick trunks, the sun followed the flicker of a shadow, slick black fur and dark eyes. As the chase pulled the young man deeper and deeper into the forest, rain began to fall, slowly at first, then in a heavy but calm downpour. The sky flickered like a fire viewed from an outside fogged window. A patch of the forest had grown wild with new life. Trees unknown to the region, plants with vivid colors, flora that fed from the blood of a great magic beast of old. In this patch of forest, under heavy rain, the sun saw the fleeing shadow fade like smoke and vanish into the sky. Years of military training told the sun to remain calm, but the winding path to this unique part of the forest had been long, and after hours of chasing shadows, the boy hungered to swing his blade, to be of some use to his father. Instead, the son of the woodsman saw nothing, no great beast, just the echoing of its shadow. As if the forest listened to his mind, the young man heard the twang of a bow, a low howl, a howl that sounded like a challenge. Then so loud that it cracked the air, a war cry, and the dying sound of a forgotten man. The war cry mixed with thunder and shaken, the boy, feeling as young as he had been when his father died, fell to his knees among the alien plants of the forest clearing. And there, as the fog cleared, the son of the woodsman saw a great skeleton, the bleached bones of the wolf, and next to the old corpse, the overgrown and rusty axe of the woodsman. I hope you have enjoyed this recording of The Woodsman, written and recorded by me, Charlie Moan. If you love this story and you want to hear more, check out our Spotify. There, you can find us at the Raconteur Collection, or really anywhere you find podcasts you can find us. Within that feed, there is another audio story written by me called The Second Gods. Very different from this story, but if you enjoyed this story you will probably enjoy that story. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.